Two hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. A very good afternoon, a good Arab Shabbat to you all. It says Rabbi Levi Lipska here standing in for my father, Rabbi Mendel Lipska. And we are going to be discussing the weekly portion, the weekly Parsha. This week, of course, being Parshat Kitavo. And uh, we're going to unpack a little bit of the lessons, the life lessons, the uh, real implementable lessons that every Parsha has. And, of course, we'll go through the various lessons that our Parsha has. If you have any questions, feel free to send us a WhatsApp to 61 Eight nine five one zero one nine, or an SMS to three four five one nine. The fifth book of the Torah, Deuteronomy, has essentially been Moshe's final words to the people, recounting, recapping all that they had experienced throughout the journey that the Jewish people took, and he's giving them parting words, parting inspiration, ensuring the continuity of the Jewish people, ensuring that they can continue to live their lives in the way that Hashem had indicated to him and to them directly. And Parshat Kitavo is no different. And the opening verse of the Parsha is very, very poignant, not only because it tells an important story, but also because it gives us incredible life lessons. The words Kitavo, freely translated, means when you enter, as in the opening verse of our parsha, when you enter the land which Hashem your God is giving you. Now an important point to note with regards to this entry into the land that the Jewish people are about to embark on, it's not simply when you enter the land, but it's the land which God has given you. So the Torah asks a very poignant question. It wants to know at which point does this entering, so to speak, take place? Do we say, for example, that as soon as a person puts his hand into a room that he has already entered the room? Or does he have to put most of his body inside of the room in order to be entered into the room? Or can it only be said that he has actually entered when his entire body has gone into the room? And similarly, the question is at which point has a nation considered to have entered a land is it when the first few people arrive, some of the people have arrived, or do they all have to arrive and not only arrive, but do they also have to settle before we can say that the people have truly entered the land? The question, very simply put, is at which point were the Jewish people considered to have entered into the land of Israel? Was it when several of them had already gone in, perhaps some of the leadership had gone in, or was it only once they had all entered into the land, completely settled, completely having conquered the land, at which point had the Jewish people been considered to have entered the land? The Talmud gives a answer to this and a halachic ruling saying that in general, partial entry is not considered entry. So likewise, Rashi explains as well at the beginning of our parsha on the verse, when you enter the land, Rashi says that this is referring to the time when not only had they all entered the land, they had all gone in, but more importantly, it was a time when the land had been conquered, the land had been divided, and the people had begin, begun to settle. 
This, says the Talmud, this, says Rashi, is the moment that the Jewish people had truly arrived into the land. We'll be back just after the break. Stay with us. This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM. Welcome to Soul to Soul. My name is Rabbi Levi Lipska, standing in for my father, Rabbi Mendel Lipska. And we're discussing Parshat Kitavo, the current Parsha, and its importance, its life lessons, and that which we can take and implement into our own lives. Just before the break, we asked the question, Parshat Kitavo, the words Kitavo means when you enter, talking about the entrance into the land that the Jewish people were about to embark on, and the question was, at which point were they considered to have entered the land? And the Talmud, as well as Rashi, the foremost commentator on the Torah, indicate that it had to be a moment when they were entirely in the land, not only entered, but also having conquered, settled, and divided the land accordingly, as Hashem had anticipated. So this is a powerful lesson that we can each implement into our own lives. Of course, Torah is not simply a book of history, a book which tells a story. It is that as well. But more importantly, Torah gives each and every one of us implementable lessons that we can implement into our own lives to help us to grow, to help us to further not only our observance, but our moral conscience and many more tools, many more lessons that the Torah gives us constantly. So this concept of having to enter the land entirely to be considered to have entered the land, this teaches us a very powerful lesson in each of our daily lives. And that is that we should enter, so to speak, ourselves totally and wholeheartedly into everything that we do for God. When we're involved in something that we do for Hashem, it should be with our entire being, our entire selves. Now, of course, that's easier said than done. So the Torah continues to unpack to assist us, not only in giving the lesson that we can implement, but how it is that we can implement such an important lesson into our daily lives. When a person becomes completely immersed in what he's doing, there's not merely a quantitative improvement in his actions that you can say, how much is he involved? Is he involved 50% in what he's currently doing? Is he involved 75%? Is he even involved 100% in what he's doing? The type of immersion that we have to be involved in when we're doing Avodat Hashem, the service of God, doing mitzvot, mitzvot has to be a completely immersive type of action so that it's not something which we can count, but rather it's a massive qualitative change, a qualitative change in our behavior, the way which we engage with the world, which radically affects the manner in which he is involved in the act that he's currently doing, involved in the current mitzvah that he is performing, involved in the current service of Hashem that he's involved in. It's not something that one can calculate on their hands. Rather, it's a completely different state of being that the person elevates himself to. So in order to reach this complete state of total immersion, this entering, so to speak, a person has to, at that moment, temporarily relinquish any other cares, any other concerns, and he has to dedicate himself unrestrainedly to the matter at hand with which he's dealing with, with complete devotion, with complete concentration. He has to, in a sense, completely surrender himself 
and not allow any personal bias, anything to interfere with the purity of the act that he's doing, with the purity of the moment that he's in, the world, in a sense, has to cease to exist for you in order to be completely immersed in this mitzvah, completely immersed in the service of Hashem. In other words, even though a person has many, many layers to them, and it's with those layers that the person has the ability to interact with the world and not only interact but also to be able to cope with day-to-day life. It's possible, though, for him to slowly peel away those layers, those layers of physicality, and forge a direct soul connection with what he is currently doing. It's almost as if he is experiencing an out-of-body experience because he has now exposed the soul, he's exposed the neshama, and has a direct connection to what he's doing in his service of Hashem. And if a person indeed succeeds in doing so, then he or she and the activity that he's doing become one. Not only do they become one, they become one complete entity where you don't see a person on the one hand and the act on the other hand. You see one synthesis of act of performance, of incredible connection with what they are doing in their service of Hashem and doing in their service of mitzvot. And this is, of course, true not only in the service of Hashem, but in general we have such fast-paced lives, lives that are filled with all sorts of instant fixes, things that need to happen right now, that how often are we truly living in the moment and doing that which we are currently doing with a wholehearted sense of being involved in that which we're doing? So often we're distracted by everything around us. We try and do too many things at once and our focus gets lost. None of the things that we are trying to accomplish get done correctly because we are trying to do too many things at once. So just like the mitzvah or the service of Hashem that we are trying to be so immersed in and completely removed from anything else at that moment, so too in our own lives, even in the mundane, it's a lesson to us that we have to be involved wholeheartedly in that which we're doing. If we take one thing at a time and we are completely immersed in it, we can seriously accomplish so much more. So by way of illustration, to try and really depict our point, when the soul comes down into this body of ours, this physical body receives this all spiritual soul, and when it arrives in the body, it breathes life into the body. What happens to the soul? It doesn't partially enter the body. We don't have a half a soul. That entire neshama, that entire soul enters, so to speak, such that the body and the soul become truly one. Now, of course, the body is alive too. And it's not merely enlivened because it now has a soul within it that breathes life into it. It itself, the body itself, has actually become alive on its own. Because what the soul has done is entered into the body in totality. It has completely immersed itself in the soul in a way that the soul and the body are truly one. So the ultimate lesson that this parasha, Parashat Kitavo, can teach us is that absolutely anything that we are doing, we should enter into. If it's a mitzvah, you enter that mitzvah that you are performing at that moment with your entire being. And every act with which we serve Hashem, we enter that act with a complete sense of importance and commitment to the act itself at that moment. 
And if we have the ability to implement this, it takes time, slowly. We are human beings. We are easily distracted. But if we work on it constantly, we then land up with a situation where our observance of Yiddishkeit, our observance of the Torah, our observance of mitzvot, they become alive Literally, we give them a sense of being, a sense of, 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 of in, in intense concentration on them where we have given them life. You are listening to Soul to Soul on 101.9 High FM. We'll take a short break and we'll be back after this. Two hours every weekday covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. Welcome back to 101.9 High FM, to Soul to Soul. My name is Rabbi Levi Lipska. I'm standing in for my father, Rabbi Mendel Lipska, and we're discussing the Parsha of Kitavo, this week's Parsha. So we're deriving the life lessons that we can learn from the Parsha of Kitavo, and the underlying fact is that when we're involved in, in the service of Hashem, when we're involved in a mitzvah, the Parsha teaches us that just as the people had to enter the land entirely in order to be considered to be in the land, so to a mitzvah that we're doing, we really want to try and immerse ourselves completely in that mitzvah in order for us to really connect with it and be one with it. Once the Parsha tells us that after you enter the land that Hashem has given you as your inheritance and you settle into it, the Torah immediately gives us the first mitzvah that we are instructed to do once we arrive in the land. And that, of course, is the mitzvah of the first fruits. And the Pasuk tells us that when you are fully settled in the land, you should take some of the first, the first to ripen, of course, from every fruit of the ground which you gather in from your land that Hashem, your God, is giving you. It then tells us that we should place those fruit into a basket, and we should go and place the fruit that are in the basket to a place that Hashem has chosen to make his name rest there question is, what is the importance of putting the fruit into the basket? Sometimes it could seem like a simple act. Take the fruit, put it in the basket. How else are you going to get the fruit to the place that Hashem needs you to get it to? But there is obviously something very significant about the fact that the Torah tells us that those first fruit that need to be brought for Hashem need to be brought in a basket. The first fruits are representative of the Jewish soul. The Midrash teaches us that divine thought to create the Jewish soul preceded everything else that was created. And in this respect, the Jewish souls are first, so to speak, and therefore cherished in a way that is similar to the first fruits. When the soul was in heaven before coming down into a body, it enjoys a very deep and intense relationship with Hashem. Nonetheless, the ultimate mission of the soul is to be sent down to earth into a body. And when it comes down into the world into a body, that body seeks to conceal the soul's relationship with Hashem. Now, of course, this process is not without some benefit as well, because it's only because of this descent of the soul that it's able to carry out a mission in the physical world. And that mission that it comes down to accomplish is one that can eventually result in an even more intense relationship with Hashem. Because as we know, Hashem's innermost desire is for his mitzvot to be performed out and carried out specifically 
in this physical world using physical objects. That is Hashem's indication to us. That's where he wants the mitzvot to be performed and to be kept sacred. And this is the lesson from the requirement that the first fruits be placed into a basket before being taken up to the place that Hashem had instructed them to do so. Because although the fruits are the finest and they're the first to ripen of the crop, they cannot achieve perfection without a basket, a simple basket. Likewise, the neshama, the Jewish soul, which of course is Hashem's absolutely highest priority, it cannot achieve perfection without coming down into a physical body, coming down into a world of concealment, a world of temptation, because it is precisely through that descent of the neshama, of the soul, that an even greater ascent is achieved. So it's not simply that the Torah is telling the people, Hashem is telling the people to bring the fruit using a basket. It's the very basket that they bring the fruit with that holds such an important lesson for us that everything that we do, the Neshama can only grow and can only regain an even greater relationship with Hashem if it comes down into a physical world. It observes the mitzvot in a physical world through that it achieves such an incredible ascent. The parsha continues, and it goes on to tell us all of the various blessings that the people are going to get. Tells us, unfortunately, some of the curses that the people can be susceptible to if they don't follow in the ways of Hashem. But one of the psukim in the parsha is the people saying to Hashem, essentially, that we've done what you wanted us to do. Now, say the people, do what you promised and look down from your holy abode in heaven and bless your people Israel. Bless the land which you have given us as you fulfilled the oath. That oath needs to be fulfilled, the one that you swore to our fathers and you gave us this incredible land flowing with milk and honey. So when it says, look down from your holy abode in heaven and bless your people Israel, what are we referring to? What are we trying to understand? And there's a little bit of language in this verse which seems to be repetitive. The Pasuk says as follows. It uses a repetitive phrase. It says, bless your people, Israel. Surely, bless your people would have been sufficient because Israel and your people are one and the same. So if we can accept that, then there's a second question. Why does the Pasuk state first your people and then mentions Israel? So our Hasidic masters teach us that Israel refers to Torah scholars and your people to the rest of us, to ordinary Yidin, to ordinary Jews who observe the mitzvot with incredible loyalty. The Talmud says there's a great debate whether the Torah or where the Torah study or mitzvot are greater. What is more important, to study the Torah or to actually observe a mitzvah? And the conclusion is that the Torah study is greater. Why? Because it leads to practical observance. Meaning, even according to the opinion that holds that Torah study is superior, it is only because it leads to practical observance of mitzvot. Consequently, our verse puts your people, the observant Jew, the regular Yid, before Israel, the scholar, so to speak, to emphasize that overall, in fact, observance is more important than study. However, the Talmud appears to stress that practical importance is more important. It nevertheless also employs this expression, so to speak, that Torah is greater. 
So the question remains, why is it that in the verse, your people are placed before the word Israel, suggesting that observance is unequivocally superior? So the answer actually lies in a comment from the Talmud Yerushalmi, from the Jerusalem Talmud, on our verse. Come and behold the greatness of those who observe the mitzvot. Because every time the term generally look down, when Hashem looks down from his holy abode, in general in the Torah, when it's mentioned, look down, it always, almost always refers to a curse. But here, in fact, when we say look down from your heavenly abode, we are referring to blessing, meaning the unique quality of practical observance of mitzvot is brought to light by the fact that it transforms curses into blessings literally. And since this is the message that is conveyed by our verse, the word your people, who represent the average man, the person who is doing simple observance of mitzvot, come before the word Israel, which represents the Torah scholar, he who spends his time studying more as opposed to observing practical mitzvot. The Torah then continues, and the parsha continues, by getting into all of the wonderful blessings that the people will receive for the performance of all of these mitzvot, lays out the mitzvot, and then it begins to overflow with incredible blessing that if we observe the mitzvot, these are all of the blessings that we are going to and bound to receive. Now, in order to receive Hashem's blessings in general, one needs to prepare a vessel to receive that blessing. If somebody throws you a, uh, a ball and you don't open your hands to catch it, then the ball falls to the ground. If we're given a gift and we don't put out our hands to receive the gift, then the gift is useless. We have to create this vessel in order to properly receive Hashem's great blessing that he has for us. And it truthfully would have been impossible for us to know what that vessel was destined to be. But in God's mercy and his infinite kindness, having given us the Torah and having revealed to us that the Torah and mitzvot are the proper vessels for us to receive his blessing. He doesn't just say, I'm going to give you a blessing and we are stuck in the open, unsure of how to receive that blessing. Hashem says, I'm going to give you a blessing in order to receive that blessing. Study Torah, perform mitzvot, and if you do, they become the vessel, they become the tool with which you can receive God's incredible blessing. The daily life and conduct, which is in accordance with the will of Hashem, meaning in accordance with the Jewish way of life, the Jewish way of Torah and mitzvot, in addition to being a must not only for our own sake, is also that channel with which we receive Hashem's blessing in everything that we need. And therefore, every effort that we make in this direction to connect ourselves with Hashem's blessing, to bring additional godly blessing. And there's always room for us to improve. There's always room for us to advance in all matters of goodness and holiness. Torah and mitzvot, which are completely infinite, because they come directly from God. They're not things that we can reach the end of. We can't reach the end of the study of Torah. We can't reach the end or the completion of the fulfillment of mitzvot. They're infinite. No matter how much we study, no matter how much we perform the mitzvot, there are so many more. We can do them with greater intensity, with a greater sense of love, with a greater sense of fear of Hashem. And when we do that, we 
continuously receive blessing from Hashem. So that blessing, in a sense, can never end. Somebody can go to work for many, many years, and at some point they retire. They've either got enough, they're tired, they reach the end of their work life, so to speak. And that's where Torah and mitzvot differ, is that it is never enough. We can do it better, we can do it more. And the flip side is that the more we perform mitzvot, with greater intensity, the greater the blessing that Hashem gives us. Now every Jew, man or woman, young, old, children, must always have complete faith in God. Again, easier said than done. Because we know that Hashem's benevolent providence extends to every single one of us individually. And our sages teach us, in fact, that everything that Hashem does is for the good. It comes from the Talmud. It says in, in the Talmud that everything that Hashem does is for the good. Sometimes we don't recognize the good in that which Hashem does. But we have simple faith. And of course a human being cannot always understand the ways of Hashem. But nonetheless he should be unshaken in his trust of Hashem. And it's this very faith in itself that becomes the channel and the vessel to receive Hashem's blessing. Because all matters that are connected with Torah and mitzvot we experience in our daily lives. So sometimes it's impossible for us as finite human beings, people who don't have the ability to understand all of the ways of Hashem. So sometimes it's rather difficult for us to see how it is that everything that Hashem does is for the good. In fact, when it says that Hashem does everything for the good, it uses the name the merciful one does everything for the good. But it's that faith alone. It's that trust itself in Hashem that brings additional blessing, even more than when we do Torah and mitzvot. So it's the faith, it's the trust, it's the Torah, it's the mitzvot. The blessings, in essence, are never-ending. You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM, Soul to Soul. We'll take a short break and we'll be back. This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 Chai FM. Welcome back to Soul to Soul on Chai FM. Rabbi Levi Lipska joining you to discuss a little bit about the Parsha. And uh, we're getting to the conclusion of the Parsha. And we've been discussing some of the mitzvot and the lessons and the blessings which they bring. And then there's a mitzvah which we are commanded to do. And that is the mitzvah of walking in his ways, walking in the ways of Hashem. And what is this mitzvah of walking in his ways teaching us more than we, more that than that which we don't already know from the requirement that the Torah tells us earlier in the books that we need to love our fellow as if we love ourselves or as much as we love ourselves. So what is this mitzvah of walking in Hashem's ways coming to teach us that which we don't know already? Now Maimonides explains that the key focus here is that we are commanded to emulate Hashem. We are commanded to emulate Hashem as much as possible. Meaning that when we act in a manner of graciousness, of compassion, of benevolence, it shouldn't merely be out of an ethical imperative. It shouldn't be for the general benefit of society, but rather it has to be in an attempt to resemble Hashem. Just as Hashem is referred to as being, likewise we are to be. So practically speaking, what this does is it ensures that a person will not allow himself to become so emotionally carried away to the extreme because in attempting to emulate Hashem, a really tough and difficult job at hand, one needs to and can always be conscious of the need to balance your 
your, your attributes like Hashem. We know that Hashem's qualities of kindness and severity are in perfect harmony. So it's teaching us that when we emulate Hashem, when we walk in His ways, we try and find that balance just like Hashem shows us. He doesn't give us too much severity, doesn't give us too much kindness. He finds the perfect balance. So too in our own lives, it's important to constantly achieve that balance, to constantly strive for that balance. Sometimes the scale is heavier on the right, sometimes it's heavier on the left, but the job at hand is to try and constantly balance it if we're completely goal focused and we're just trying to achieve the end result then what we land up doing is having a situation where we are so bogged down by trying to get to the goal that we don't find the balance it's the balance and the challenge of finding the balance that is the entire element of our godlike being like Hashem and trying to attribute all of our behaviors to him the Torah, at this point in the Parsha, takes an incredible turn. Till now, we've been discussing the entry into the land, the mitzvot, the benefit of doing those mitzvot, the life lessons behind each of those mitzvot, the lessons behind the blessings. And then all of a sudden, in the sixth aliyah of Parshat Kitavo, the Torah takes a very sharp turn. And Hashem says that if you don't perform all of these, then these, unfortunately, are the terrible curses that can befall you. In fact, in Shul, no one actually takes this aliyah. The person who is reading the Torah, the Baal Korah himself, without being called by name, will say the blessings and will read the, the aliyah without actually calling anybody up. Because if one would read all of these curses that are contained in the parsha. We wouldn't, God forbid, want anybody to think that it's the person who's Aliyah or the person who's come up to the Torah that the Torah is speaking only to them and they are the ones who, God forbid, can be the recipient of all of these curses. But the question is, what lays behind the curses? What is the meaning behind them? And just after the break, we will conclude with understanding the curses, which really are not curses. We'll be back. Two hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. Welcome back to the concluding segment of Soul to Soul here on High FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Lipska. I've been standing in for my father, Rabbi Mendel Lipska, and we've been discussing the Parsha. And of course, as we said before the break, the Parsha takes an extreme turn. It now speaks about those terrible curses that can be placed upon us if we don't perform all of these wonderful mitzvot that Hashem gives us. And there's actually two times in the Torah where these curses, these admonitions, are placed before us here in our parsha, in Parshat Kitavo, and as well as Parshat Bechukotai. Now the admonitions of our parsha contains 98 curses, whereas the admonition in Parshat Bechukotai it contains half of that amount, 49 curses. The inner reason for this incredible distinction, half the amount of curses, actually lies in the fact that the curses of the admonition are not intended as pure punishment, but in truth they're actually blessings in disguise. And those curses are elements that spiritually purge and refine the person, making him a fitting vessel for an even greater blessing from God. Now the admonition of Parshat Bechukotai, 
which we read just before Shavuot, is in a sense a spiritual preparation which enables an individual to embrace the giving of the Torah anew. And that occurs every Shavuot. Whereas the admonition of our Parsha, Parshat Kitavo, which is read now, just two weeks before Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the admonition of our Parsha is in order to prepare us for the upcoming high holidays. And this is the inner reason why there are more curses, double the amount of curses here in Parshat Kitavo, because on Shavuot, when the Jewish people receive the Torah, they're on the level of tzaddikim, they're on the level of righteous people. They only need half the amount. Whereas on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, where the key emphasis is on man's effort to return to God, teshuva, meaning to return, we reach the level of Baalei Tshuva, people who have returned, people have repented. And since the Baal Tshuva is so much higher, says the Torah, than the Tzadik, the person who returns is so much higher than the righteous, so many more curses, which in a sense, in essence, in fact, are blessings in disguise, are read in this parsha, so that they can provide us with a much greater spiritual preparation required to reach this sublime level of a Baal Tshuva. So each and every one of us, as we prepare for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, tomorrow when we hear in Shul those 98 curses, we should allow our souls to connect to them because those are blessings in disguise. And each and every one of them are designed to assist us in gaining greater heights, in gaining a greater connection with Hashem to prepare us for the all-important days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And as the second last Shabbos of the Jewish year, it's an important time for us to be in shul, to be connected with everything that this parsha contains, the revealed blessings, the blessings in disguise, the, the, uh, the, the instructions for us to make incredible vessels for Hashem's overwhelming blessings. And if we do, there is no doubt that Hashem in His infinite kindness will bless each and every one of us with a Shana Tova, with a good and sweet year. I wish you a Shabbat Shalom. All the very best. Bye-bye.